Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. This is Blaze. I'm Fran, if I haven't met you before. Blaze is pretty much the last message in our Wild and Fire sermon series that we're doing in this run-up to the, the biggest festival, as Nerida said, the biggest festival in our faith, which is Easter. So along the way, we've talked to various wild and fiery themes, and today is really about how something marvellous spreads, you know, that, that blaze that takes hold. That marvellous thing being the good news that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, which means Jesus is the fulfilment of the promise of God to inaugurate or kick off his kingdom and that this news blazes out in love. It transforms lives like yours and like mine. And those lives in turn transform society, culture, the environment. Love changes everything. And Palm Sunday is centred in a parade. Everyone loves a parade, right? Let me just... There we go. Everyone loves a parade. So we have a little parade montage here, as you can see. Nothing new about parades. They've been happening for a long time. We have them here in New Zealand. We have the Santa Parade, you can see that there, which is pretty much a promotion of shopping and the farmer's brand. (laughs) We have... Victory parades for sport. It appears that if there's a big piece of shiny something, metal, uh, that we, our sports team compete for, if we win it, we like to have a parade. So there's a couple of sports victory parades there. And those victory parades started as military parades. Hmm. So there's nothing new about the militaristic uh, p- kind of parade. So... This is um, Red Square in Moscow. They have recently held their most militaristic parade ever, and the biggest shout-out went for when the intercontinental ballistic missiles were wheeled past the crowd, which is a bit dark. Um, Fly-pasts. This... I don't know if you knew this, but in Russia they don't call... I shouldn't be surprised by this, but... I'd kind of assumed that everybody called World War II, World War II, but actually in Russia they call it the Great Patriotic War. So, you know, military, and look how great we are, and look how powerful we are, and look at what we've come through, and look at what the stuff we've got, and look at how powerful we are. So that's the military parade. And then Disney marvellously gives us Prince Ali of Abwa. Not going to lie, I love the parade scene in Aladdin. I was a bit worried when I went to see the stage show that they wouldn't be able to pull it off. How can you do that on a small stage? Well, they aced it. So if you didn't get to see it, oh, you missed something there. So a fantastic uh, parade scene here. And this is very much look at me, isn't it? Strip away the glitz, though, and all you've got really is an ego trip. Prince Ali is promoting himself. Well actually just a wealthy and successful projection of himself. That facial expression tells you everything you need to know. So 
while we're sort of in this once upon a time kind of space, let's travel back a long, long time ago to a faraway land to a real man called Moses. And Moses said to God, show me your glory. And God replied to Moses, no one can look at me. They wouldn't survive it. So sometimes we read that and think, you know, anyone looks at me, I'll kill them. That's, that's not the tone here. It's like, I'm too much for a human to look at. So no one can look at me. They wouldn't survive it. But I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll call out my name, which the Jews would never say aloud, um, the Lord. As my glorious presence passes by, I'll hide you in the crevice in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. There are many lovely translations of this and they, they say, you know, all of them, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Have you ever noticed that? That really caught my attention. So there's something, you know, Moses is saying, show me your glory. And God says, I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. Interesting. So glory is a golden thread running through the scriptures, through our story. It also was something that we landed on a few weeks ago in John's gospel when Vic was speaking a few Sundays ago. And John says, the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. Glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Something major has happened, and it's the incarnation. God, who always intended to be tangible and visible and deeply connected to us, did this firstly through creation, through the created order of everything, God is present in that. And then in humanity itself, coming to you and to me, becoming one of us, was never plan B. It was always intended. And in that Trinitarian energy of constant, generative, transforming and expanding love, this is always going to lead here to earth, to Palestine in the first century, to Mary, to Joseph, and to Jesus, and from there to us. And on this day, Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' earthly life, we're remembering, as we have for 2019 years, a parade, a special procession, which has been called the Triumphal Entry. And so now, as Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time in his life, the gospel writers lead us again and again to see this Jesus in the light of God's glory, that he is God's glory, that he is God. And what's more, God is exactly like Jesus. So Moses can't look at God. It's too much for his feeble frame. He could, but he can see God's goodness passing by. And now, 1,500 years after Moses, in Jerusalem on a donkey, God's glory and goodness is passing by. And anyone and everyone can look at him. And they do. 
Processions were big in Roman times. Roman generals would strive to earn what was known as a triumph. And it was offered to them after a particularly successful um, military campaign. Wagon loads of booty, stuff that they had looted from temples, state treasuries, the homes of the wealthy, would be loaded into wagons and put on display. Captives were paraded in the procession, and the really prestigious captives were given a special float of their own, just to kind of make it very clear who they were in their culture, but they belong to us now. An example of this, uh, this is uh, Marcus Aurelius and at his triumph. And um, so he took captive, if I've got this right, possibly not. Anyway, Cleopatra and her twin children, Helios and Selena. So they were put on parade as pre prestigious captives. So it's a way, on the one hand, of humiliating those people, and another way of saying, well, you belong to us now, and we can do whatever we like with you, which, of course, they did. So what else was in this parade? Um, there, were, there was weaponry, just like there is in military parades today. So you'd show off your big guns or your fastest chariots and all of your archers. And if you had, you know, whatever military gear you had, that'd be on parade. All your soldiers, everyone who'd served under you as the general, they were all there. Everything was present. Any exotic animal, any curiosity, anything unusual was put in this parade. And so the train of the parade, so all of these wagons and all of its various parts of the parade would sometimes take hours to pass by. Romans lapped it up. The Santa Parade, this is not. <laughs> then, after all the dust from that had settled, the physical evidence of your triumph would be there for all to see. This was... Um, a great big stone arch, often a, a triple arch. Everyone had to pass underneath it to get from A to B. That was just to drive home who you really are in the scheme of things. You're under this. The Arc de Triomphe in Paris is a Napoleonic copy of a Roman arch. Um, true Roman arches do still exist. And we were in uh, Thessaloniki in Greece a few years ago, and we were just at a cafe sitting um, at the base of the arch of Galerius, who was a great persecutor of Christians. So that was a bit of a weird moment, seeing his face there. But there's his arch. And you can find them scattered around the ancient Roman world as far as Romania, which is named after the Romans. So they spread out quite a lot, and they dotted their arches all over the place as a sign of who's in charge here. So this is a, they're, they're lingering reminders, if you like, of an ancient empire and what kingship and victory looked like to them. It looked like Caesar. It looked like domination. Just to stay with Marcus Aurelius for a moment longer. Domination in the ancient world also looked like Pharaoh. It looked like Hammurabi. It looked like Darius. It looked like Xerxes moving into closer eras to our own. It looked like Genghis Khan. It looked like Constantine. It looked like Hitler. Also, looked like Marcus Aurelius for a bit. I've stood next to this statue. I think I come up to the horse's knee. Yeah. So this is media. This is telling me who I am. Marcus Aurelius can crush me like a bug. He has the power. 
I do not. He makes the decisions. I do not. My place is to shut up and do as I'm told. So all of these images of domination and power and military might. Motorcades and uh, social media are kind of how this message is driven home to us these days about power and who's in charge. And the trouble with all of this is that God's model of kingship is nothing like that. And we've become so acclimated to seeing this powerful, dominant king idea that we sometimes miss seeing the kind of king Jesus really is. The prophets foretold a ruler who will shepherd my people. So back to Moses again. Moses is in the earliest time of Israel's relationship with God. And God speaks his own name to Moses like this. Yahweh, Yahweh. This is God speaking to Moses. A God of tenderness and compassion, slow to anger, rich in kindness, and abounding in faithfulness. For 10,000 generations, Yahweh maintains his kindness, forgiving all our faults, transgressions, and sins. Look at that. Tenderness, kindness, mercy, compassion, steadfast love, tenacious faithfulness, forgiveness. This is the beating heart of our king. I know we read those prophets, then they're raging away on God's behalf at how faithless Israel is, how badly they've behaved, how foolish they are. But if you read on far enough through the ark of that prophecy, what you'll arrive at is God saying through that same mouth, but I will love you. I will love you even more. I won't abandon you. I will never abandon you. You are so precious to me. Sometimes we get stuck in the bit of the story and stay there rather than following it through to its conclusion. God always arrives at the place of generosity self-giving faithfulness to his covenant of love. Think about this. God is God's reference point. Not us, thank God. God's reference point is God's own self. Who is God? God is love. This is the who, what, when, where, and how of God. Love. And God is not merely loving. Love isn't just an attribute of God. Love is God's nature this unchangeable nature of God. And that means then that God's justice is not retributive, but restorative. The intention of God is always to restore. Always. So, nothing like Caesar then. So we learn from Moses that and that exchange that God isn't some kind of fake divine ruler like Pharaoh, but is Israel's deliverer and faithful lover. That's the language God uses of himself. Later, when the people of Israel want a king so they can be like all the nations around them, you know, everyone else has got one dad, why can't we have one? Um, God passes over all the bigger, handsomer, more special looking, impressive older brothers and chooses from the sons of Jesse, the kid who writes songs and risks his life to protect his father's flocks. This is David, and certainly he's not perfect, but frankly I find that a bit of a relief. And God promised 
David, a throne that would last forever. This is the promise that's met at the birth of Jesus. This kingdom, this throne, this rulership is not to be confused in any way with the dodgy human versions of this. Jesus comes to show an entirely different but entirely consistent with God way of being king. And it comes into super sharp focus on this day, Palm Sunday. Matthew's gospel tells it like this. And actually, I think in our culture here in New Zealand, we have a little bit of an image just sitting in in our own story that might help us stay with it. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, as we were singing this morning. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Mark and Luke in their narratives describe people also shouting out Hosanna, but also getting so carried away that the Pharisees tell Jesus to make them be quiet. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So that lets you know that they're not so keen on what's happening here, and it actually hardens their resolve to kill Jesus. Do you know, a version of this parade has happened before in in the scriptures. Centuries ago, when King David arrives triumphant into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant, which was the physical sign of God's glory and God's presence with the people. People went crazy. There was singing. There was delight. And the shepherd king parades into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. And now Jesus, David's direct descendant, is the Ark himself, the physical glory and presence of God is entering the same city by the same road and is celebrated as God's king. Kind of amazing, don't you think? A donkey, you might have noticed, is no war horse. Doesn't look anything like what Marcus Aurelius was riding, that's for sure. You don't tower over people over don- on a donkey. You can't really trample anybody. This is like riding in Top Gear's reasonably priced car. There's nothing fancy about it. Doesn't go that fast. You know, might be able to execute some manoeuvres, but really, it's just a plodder. So it might not be fancy, but it's very significant. 
This is how the king of glory arrives. The donkey even then was seen as a patient bearer of burdens, not a killing machine. And the little colt alongside was assigned to the Gentiles or the outsiders that they too are included in this kingdom of tenderness, compassion, steadfast love, tenacious faith, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness. And those are God's attributes, not necessarily those of the followers. And so Jesus, surrounded by friends, including the one who was dead and buried just days before whom he had raised from the dead, there were followers, there were villagers from all over the region. Anyone who'd heard or been touched by Jesus would have been there. And the whole population were gathering in Jerusalem for Passover. So it was packed. And there's exaltation in the air. There's celebration and joy, recognition and acclamation. And Jesus, in and through whom God has pitched his tent among us, passes by in all his goodness. I'm sure plenty of people in that crowd were actually cheering for a king, king, you know, a son of David, a real king, someone who could really stick it to the Romans. If he can heal the sick and raise the dead, then surely he can do something about Pilate and Herod. Jesus would be a king we could trust, a king worth the name. God is with him, clearly. And the Romans won't know what's hit him. It's like Jesus is their secret weapon of some kind. There would have been people thinking that in that crowd. But nevertheless, Jesus passes by in all his goodness. The kingly rule of God looks like this. There isn't a great train of loot or slaves, dancing girls, creatures, weapons and wealth. The royal road is actually one of descent, downward mobility. Jesus, in fact, spends his last few days clearing the temple of all the trappings of the sacrificial system, releasing the animals, driving out those who profit from that system. He predicts his own death. He's anointed with expensive perfume at a dinner which causes a fresh little outbreak of scandal. He celebrates the Last Supper with his friends. And shockingly, again, he shows them that leadership that's truly spiritual embraces the lowliest forms of service. He's the king that you'd bump into cleaning toilets at the mall or vacuuming offices at 3 a.m. We have to understand that the kingdom of God is nothing at all like any kingdom or any system we have seen before. We see in Jesus the glory of God. And glory is not pomp and glitz and rah, 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 Prince Ali of Abwa. No. And neither is glory a final heroic yet futile act of sacrifice in a doomed battle. That's not God's glory either. Glory is defined as that which is sublime, brilliant, the epitome. There are no everyday words for what glory is. So perhaps it's best defined by looking at Jesus. That's what God's glory is. 
looks like. This is glory we can look at because we see it in each other. This is God in glory, riding toward the completion of his mission. And at every turn, he heals and heals and heals. And even in these last days, he washes their filthy feet. He prays for them. He comforts them. He forgives those who have arrested, flogged, mocked, and tortured him. He gives himself to them. God gives himself in love for the restoration of the cosmos. In the words of my friend and wonderful theologian, Brad Jersak, God didn't kill Jesus. We did. We called this message Blaze because this tender, kind, compassionate, merciful, steadfastly loving, tenaciously faithful, forgiving Jesus changed the world and is, even in this moment, changing us. You know, love is not what people expect. Tenderness is disarming. Mercy is revolutionary. Tenacious faithfulness is inspiring. Forgiveness is transformative. And love well, everything that's good springs from love, right? So that's what we're celebrating today. So just as we come to a close, of our, if you had a palm leaf, you might want to hold it. There's something physical to connect with. But we're just going to spend the last few minutes kind of with, with this icon from the, the Coptic tradition of the Christian faith. Jesus passing by in all his goodness. So you can keep your eyes open if you want to, close them if you want to. But I think that the most wonderful invitation to us today is to get a little sense that Jesus is passing by this morning. In all his goodness. And I'd like you to reach out for something special. You might have noticed in that list of tenderness, kindness, mercy, compassion, steadfast love, tenacious faithfulness, or forgiveness, that there's something there for you. And in God's goodness and glory, it is there for you. So let's just pause and be silent before the Lord. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. Hold up. 